my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Nama here, Tefano, and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Code with Kingy. Where for this year, I'm joined by a member of the Blues and I'm playing for the Mighty Tanifa, that being Josh Goodhue. First of all, Bryce, thank you very much for your time and how are? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Um, not too bad, uh, just cruising at the moment. Obviously, got a recent injury, but otherwise, headspace isn't too bad. So, just cruising away. Mm-hmm. So, why don't you give us an update with the latest injury that you picked up and what was a pretty unfortunate time with how you were rolling and how the boys have clicked on? Yeah, so fractured my thumb. So uh, the fracture goes through the thumb joint, which is pretty serious, was close to needing an operation, but they pulled out last minute and said, could probably just cast it up for six weeks and then hopefully it heals. So yeah, out uh, in a cast for six weeks and then not sure on the recovery time after that, but hoping to get back for finals footy. That's what's kind of keeping me motivated at the moment. Yeah, 100%. Is it one of those ones where it's like in a real niggly place and you've really just got to let it heal? Yeah, I don't yes. know. From what I hear with like toes and fingers, like they're actually pretty slow burners sometimes with the recovery because it's just about trying not to move it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm casted up and it's like the thumbs, like just you can't move it. And it's right through the joint, like I said. So the big thing is that they don't want the, the joint to be displaced. And it's not at the moment, but it could easily happen if I if I was to like knock it or something. So it's just about being careful at this stage and trying to let it heal. Uh-huh. And how did it happen? Was it doing something heroic as part of that massive win a couple of weeks ago? Bro, I'm, I still don't know how it happened. Eh? All of a sudden, like pretty much in the first five minutes of the game, it just started hurting. And I've had a previous injury, like a ligament tear in the same thumb. And I was like, oh, it's just that flaring up again. I told Doc, I was like, my thumb is like in pain. He's like, mate, it's just that ligament. You'll be right. And it's like, first five minutes of the game, I'm like, okay. And I had to bite through the mouth guard and got to the halftime point. I was in the shed. My hand was just like a balloon. Mm. I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll give it like, I'll give it another crack for the second half and got two minutes and I couldn't grab anything. I was like trying to lift Luke Romano in the line out and oh. lifting him with two healthy hands is hard enough. Um, <laughs> one broken thumb. That was no good. Oh, yeah, that is no good. But on that game, though, a historic result. Um, I don't have yeah. the numbers on me, but I think like the last time off the top of my head that the Blues had won down there was 04, back when Carlos Spencer was running the cutter. And the boys hadn't beaten the Crusaders at all since 2014, I think. Yeah, I think so, yeah. My, um, if my brain is telling me the right thing. So what was it like after that game? Did you... Were you out in the town after, or was things pretty was actually, calm? Um, yeah, I was unreal feeling. Probably the best feeling I've ever had after a game. Like, I've won the 20s World Cup, and that even that one was, like, a lot better, a lot better feeling, um, just to be in part of history, you know? And then afterwards, obviously, a few beers were sunk, and a few stories were told. Luke Romano was loving life, and it was Easter Friday, though, so town was, was shut for the most part, but the boys got back into the team room and got around each other, and it was just a great feeling, yeah. Now, with all the hype surrounding that game, what was the mindset going into it? I mean, like, from a, from a fan's perspective, all the pressure was on you guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean well, the Crusaders obviously want to win at home, but it was more so, like, this was your game to show that the Blues mean yeah, business. this is our chance, right? Um, 
I think the confidence we took out of the week before, probably have to touch on that, like keeping the Chiefs scoreless, Hamilton, like the confidence we took out of that, that week of training afterwards was just amazing. And there was just this feeling in the camp, like we can do it. The mindset going in, I think in previous years, our mindset's been like, oh, we have to, we have to do everything right to beat these guys. And almost they have to have a shit game. But this year it was like, we just can go in and do what we've been doing and we can win this thing. Like we're so much better than what we have been. We just have to go out and play our game and trust our process pretty much. And that's what the mindset was anyway. And the boys bought into it and obviously got the result, even though we did our best to lose it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, bro, having to watch on the sidelines as the clock ticked down and the Crusaders are inside your 22. I mean, hell of a tackle from Rico and Dalton getting across. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, a monumental result. And I mean, like even for you, bro, like your form had been really good in my opinion. Um, and just the the way that the team's operating this year and the absence of guys like Patrick Tuipulotu, um, having Bowden in and out. Yeah, you just had some key guys step up, notably yourself. Uh, got Stephen Petalfetter. Dalton's obviously come on leaps and bounds with the captaincy. But focusing more so on you, bro, like what was the word to you, I guess, once Patrick had made the decision to go over to Japan? Like did Tom Coventry and Liam McDonald come to you and be like, hey, mate, you've been in our group a couple of years now. We want you to step up. And is that what has been a catalyst for the way that you've played up until you had your injury? Um, no, to be fair, there wasn't a hell of a lot of chat from the coaches. Like, obviously, Paddy was leaving. That was pretty clear. And then we went up to the Northland season and there wasn't a hell of a lot of contact, but coming back in for the preseason, the only thing that TC kind of said to me was, we want you to be the starting lock and it's up to you whether, like, you take that opportunity or not. And um, I guess my mindset was, I don't know, I'm off contract at the end of the year. So I, I was kind of just trying to treat every game as potentially my last game in a Blues jersey and also just not really worrying about results as much as I probably have been. Obviously, you do at times, but I feel like I'm a player that if I get caught up in all of that, my game goes out the window. So I kind of just treat, it's a bit of a trick of mine. I just treat games as if they're trainings now. That's my mindset. So when I'm prepping for a game, I'm just treating it like another training run and that seems to work for me. I'm guessing that's taken time to develop that mindset because you hear it a lot in the media. A lot of boys saying that sort of those sorts of things. Oh, you know, we're just taking it a week at a time and I'm just focusing on what I can control. But I mean, there is so much noise that goes on in professional environments and you see it get the better of guys and you see some guys eventually, I wouldn't call them demons, but they do a better job of just, yeah, focusing on, I guess, having fun and not, yeah, like you said, not worrying too much about the result. But is that something that you've had to work on for you and then found that's the way you get the best out of yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a regular in the mental skills coach's office. Like, it's been a big part of my growth. I think my first two years, I thought, like most young rugby players do, like it's not for me, the, the mental skills stuff. And yeah, kind of just put it to the side. But once you start playing like once I started getting into the 23 and out there like experiencing that pressure I was like shit I need like I need some help with this like because what I can do on the training field and what I can do playing for North and where there's probably less pressure I can't seem to replicate that on the field so what's going on there can you give us some insight into what the mental skills coach does with you to 
get past those barriers if, if you don't mind me asking yeah um a lot of it is almost the, like having a conversation with her and discussing what are the roadblocks at the moment and then kind of coming together and working out plans um and for me we obviously talked about i'm great at training but in the games i seem to go missing this is in the first few years and we just like worked on tools of like there was a lot of a lot of ideas that were thrown out that didn't work like there was this thing where i used to tape put this bit of tape under my jersey with like a little button on it it's just stuff like this and like i'd have to like feel the tape and that would like almost make me go to a thought of thinking that this is like just a game just do your job and like stuff like that but like that wasn't as effective and it's just heaps of different stuff that you try um and it's about working through it and giving feedback and she's great at if something doesn't work we'll just try something else and work on other stuff so yeah hopefully that answers your question but yeah yeah it sounds not too different from what people would do in their everyday lives i i, I just in terms from of, of a sporting comparison i was listening to a good podcast with dan carter and he talked about whenever he made a mistake he'd slap his leg and that was almost yeah. like his wake-up call to be like okay yep don't stick in the red try and get back to the blue as quick as possible but yeah the the, the mental skills thing has been i guess a thing that's regularly talked about post the 2011 world cup and all the work that the all blacks did with graham henry and whatnot and getting gilbert yeah. and Oka on board and then obviously um that's all trickled down to the super rugby teams and yeah. it's, it's cool to hear that guys are actually utilizing those resources because i think maybe the old school mentality was that oh no you just got to toughen up and you know just go a little bit harder yeah whereas now uh guys have been a bit more transparent with what's going on in their head and they have people to help them and yeah and obviously it's brought the best out in you but as I touched on a little bit before, bro, you guys have done some massive recruiting, uh, namely mm. guys like Bowden Barrett, Roger Tuovasa-Shek. But more closely for you, Luke Romano, you mentioned the fact that he's not the easiest bugger to lift in the lineouts, but <laughs> outside of that hassle, he must be a guy that's awesome to have in the environment, you know, with all the experience that he has, um, having won all those championships with the Crusaders. What have you learned off him? Um, over the, well, What did you learn off him over the preseason and then, um, you know, getting onto the field with him? uh i've learned i've learned a lot off him any like situation that you can think of will come across like he's been there he's done that so um just picking his brain on a lot of things particularly in the line out when we were playing together he he wanted me to call the line out and it's not something that i do a lot of it's probably my first season doing it so just his advice around that and just backing the call was a big one and then even just just around playing the, the game and the mindset i think it was like our first day and like you just met the guy and we're we're talking about how we want to attack the season and he just got up and said like like the blues have always been good enough it's just that we've never believed that we're good enough we think that the crusaders are better than us etc all of that stuff as soon as we get that belief and this was like on day one we, we can win this thing and everyone was kind of like whoa and then i think it was definitely a massive catalyst for us like that session because it was like a bit of a team building session it really started that conversation why don't we why don't we believe that we can do it and what's it going to take for us to believe that we can yeah i guess that is a big thing i i, I know just um from a club rugby perspective when you get these gun players and and it's just like the confidence that they talk with and the way that they lead with directions and I mean, for the most part, that you know, they've got a bit of a resume, so you're not, yeah. um, you're not unaware of, of of what they've accomplished. But yeah, I guess with having guys like him, 
in Bowden and then, you know, all that like RTS brings from his days with the Warriors. They've definitely instilled um, a greater confidence and then the rest of the team's bought into it, bro. Um, yeah. But you, you touched on the fact that this is your first year really calling the lineouts. And as someone who's only ever playing in the backs, I'm mm. interested to know what actually goes into lineout calling, as in mm. when do you choose to go to the front, to the middle, to the back? Oh, obviously, with the very little knowledge that I have with, with how four play goes, I know that generally if the, if the line out ain't going great, you try and get up up at two as quickly as possible before they can set. But yeah, how, how does that work? Do you have jumpers for certain areas of the field? I know that, you know, once you get into the red zone, there's all these trick plays. Like it seems like quite a big responsibility. It is. Um, you've got like maybe like eight seconds to kind of look at the opposition and really like make a decision. And obviously what they're trying to do is paint pictures and show you where space is and then take it away from you. So it's a bit of a game of cat and mouse, I guess, in a way. I guess calling a line out mainly comes down to your preview. That's like the biggest thing that like you can see what teams have done against them in weeks prior and you can see what kind of pictures they're showing and kind of figure out what they're trying to do and combat that and make moves during the week that can exploit um, their weaknesses. But a lot of the time, it's a bit of a guessing game, I want to be honest. But um, if, you're, if your hooker throws a 10 out of 10 ball and your jump and lift are perfect, you should always be in a position to win it because they're reacting to what you're doing. But obviously that's not going to happen every time. Right. And then on the flip side, bro, sorry to drag this out. No, no. Are you, are you doing the exact same thing from a defensive point of view? Like if, you, if you're inside the 22, is it you that's making the call to sack, to contest or to combat a potential rolling ball? Uh, Luke's, Luke usually does that and if Luke goes off then, then I'll do it um, that's just something like a way to kind of take pressure off me I guess and so we can split the split the roll up but he's pretty uh, clued up on the defense side of things I guess yeah mm, interesting yeah it's just stuff that goes over my head obviously and it obviously gets more intricate the, the higher the level you go um, yeah. but yeah just being a bit of rugby I like to get that sort of knowledge and and note it down after I have chats with blokes like you, brother. But before you were ever calling lineouts for the Blues, you had to have started somewhere uh, with your rugby career, brother. So can you take us back to where that was and what even got you interested in footy in the first place? Yeah, can do. I uh, grew up in a small town called Kolokoa uh, in the Bay of Islands. Pretty much got into it because we've got two older brothers and they were all playing uh, for the local club. We kind of just one day we were down watching them, and there was a like an under fives game going on with a few people we knew from school, and I was like, "Oh, do you want a game?" And then we pretty much like just got chucked out there and never looked back. Um, so grew up playing for United Colorado Juniors and doing quite well. I was always too too fat to make uh, rep teams, and Jack was uh, the skinny shredded fella, but. So there was always weight restrictions. And so I had to kind of either play a grade up or not play. Um, and then we got to under 14s and played for the Northland rep side together with their coaching. And uh, we got scouted for, well, we were always planning to go there because our older brothers went there. But the Mags coach was coaching the Auckland side and we played against them. And we got some interest to go there with a half scholarship each. Um, so we went down to Mad Albert Grammar School and played a high school rugby there. And then after that, I not many people know this, but I headed overseas uh, and was in the like the Worcester Rugby Academy for a month. 
older brother was playing over there. So just thought I'd do a bit of traveling and see what it's all about. And then moved back up north, did the Northern 19s and played in that national tournament. Uh, from there, Razor was coaching the NZ20s and he said he'd like me to come down to Canterbury. He was a Canterbury coach at the time as well. Just to, not to play for Canterbury, but to come down and train with them for the Crusaders Academy. And so they could have eyes on me for the NZ20s. They weren't too confident um, in what I was doing up north just for my training and stuff. And who was there was not really an academy up there. So I headed down to Canterbury for six months and made the NZ20s team. And, and then Northland offered me a, a contract after that and then headed back home and then into the Tunnies. So gone all the way back to Mag so that we can work through this chronologically. I always like to throw yeah. this in there. Um, while I am a Wally boy, I did spend a bit of time in Auckland. And I did yeah. my year nine at Manabagama, bro. Only the one year because, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, only the one year because the old man had sort his life out and I ended up having to dip back to Wellington to yeah. stay with my other whanau. But I just know from my time there, and, and you touched on the fact that your older brothers went there and that was sort of the plan for you, just how big rugby or sport in general was, especially in my year nine. So that was 2010. And because... Was Charlie McAllister the coach for the first 15 yeah. when you were there? Yeah. 2010 um, was actually my first year as well, but we um we came we went down in year 10. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, but small world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got fond memories of um Mr. Baker. He was my form teacher. Yeah, and yeah, yeah had the rugby academy with, with with BG Williams. I can't remember who the the other coach's name escapes me, but yeah, I, uh, I was, James Hans. Mr. Hans. Yes, no, yeah, that, yeah, that definitely rings a bell. But yeah, obviously moving down from Kawakawa, a, a pretty yeah. small place, and then going into a school of, I think at the time would have been around two thousand kids. How how did you how did you find that? I mean, like, were you somewhat used to it? Maybe having gone down and visited your brothers, and then when you get in and you're part of the boarding hostel, what was sort of your progression from year ten? to playing first 15 because I also have down here in my notes that you played New Zealand schools in year 13 so yeah, can you touch on your time at Mags and how you grew yeah. there and perhaps at what point did you think that rugby was a viable career for you yeah Mags obviously great memories from from there going down to boarding school like you said from a small town is such a shock like we we pretty much wore while well, we didn't wear any shoes just wore like board shorts and like singlets and we rocked out and like everyone's like looking at us and we we had no idea about like fashion or anything like that as well and just coming from a small town you're not really exposed to the cultures and the different ethnicities like Auckland schools and that was also pretty cool as well but in terms of the, the rugby environment it's pretty crazy that you're going to class and then you've got rugby academy or when you're meant to be like doing maths or something you're, you're out on the field doing drills with BG Williams um so from day one, like you knew it was pretty serious. And then obviously we played first year was under 15s for us. And then we're in the first 15 the following year. I think right from the start, I knew it was what I wanted to do. And then I guess I never really thought like it was a definite, but it was always if I commit myself and I had coaches around me that really believed in me. And I knew if I continued on this path and training hard and working on my skills that I was, I was going to get to some point that's mm -hmm. considered professional rugby and then the rest is kind of obviously a bit of luck but yeah I don't think I'd be where I am today without being at Mags personally and then you touch on the fact that you shifted to England 
first year out of school. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I know that you touched on having your brother over there, but having played New Zealand schools, you would have been in, in hot demand, or oh, this is what I'm guessing. You wouldn't have been short, you wouldn't have been short of options mm. um, to, to take your rugby talents elsewhere. And again, if my notes are correct, your brother Jack, who's obviously gone on to have a pretty decent career himself, he chose to go down to Canterbury. Yeah. And with him being your twin brother, I'm guessing you guys are quite close. Why didn't you follow him down there? Mainly because I, I like if rugby wasn't an option. I had no idea what I wanted to do, and we had a bit of demand, but it wasn't like crazy. Jack went down to Canterbury on his own back. Like he just went to Lincoln. They didn't even know he was coming down. Like he wasn't in the academy or anything. Oh, wow. um, he was pretty, very um, underrated at school, even though he was like amazing. Like he carved up. I don't know how he didn't get the recognition, but we got a bit of interest from a couple of provinces, but nothing that was really. I thought was worth pursuing and I don't know I just you know everyone was kind of signing on to these academy contracts that were worth like nothing and then there was this opportunity to go traveling after school and me and Jack have kind of been guys that we've always wanted to follow our own path so um, even I remember we we're at boarding school and during the hot school holidays there's the blues under 18s camp that everyone goes to and obviously we like we were invited and everyone that was invited was going to it, but we're like, ah, man, we want to spend time with our family. <laughs> like, it was, so we didn't even, like, for us, we didn't want rugby to be everything, and we wanted to be able to do stuff on our terms, I guess. And, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, bro, <laughs> that's, that's really refreshing, because I know that, especially nowadays, with the way that the game's gone with the professionalism, and you're yeah. seeing kids, like, as young as 13 or 14, you know, training like all blacks almost at a lot of these big, you know, private schools across the country. But then, yeah, I guess for guys like yourself, who maybe it was, you know, your, your small town upbringing, you, you saw beyond rugby and yeah. maybe were cotton on to the fact that it doesn't last forever and that there are bigger things in life. But you did end up taking your talents over to England. And like you said, were a part of the, the Worcester uh, set up over there. So what did you take away from your time overseas? And then how did that put you in better stead to when you arrived back in Northland to play under-19s? Um, I learned how to drink beers, probably. I was definitely, they know how to sneak a piss over there. But in terms of rugby, very different game. A very, like, set-piece focus. As a forward, as a type forward, it's pretty much you're just training for collisions. Not a hell of a lot of ball skills involved, which is what I like to, like, do. I like to be able to express myself, I guess, and... Yeah, it was a tough month on the training paddock. Like, you just around the corner into bodies, and then you're off to the turf to maul against each other. And I guess, if anything, it, it taught me some key learnings around set piece and, and all of that, and how physical you have to be if you want to be at international, if you're going to go up and play against those fellas. Like, you can kind of see it now with the India tour. They just are looking a bit bigger and stronger than us. And you can see, like, after being in that environment for a month, you can see why, because they just prioritise gym and they prioritise collisions. Well, yeah, because I was just going to ask as a follow-up, bro, do you think it's worth, I know it's tough nowadays because most guys coming out of school, if, if you're quite good, you, you're getting linked in with a Super Rugby franchise and they want to lock you up as quickly as possible from a contract perspective. But I know that there have been some guys who have gone overseas or even come to New Zealand, like one of the big ones was Finn Russell. He actually played club rugby down in Christchurch um, gotcha. and he and he credits his time in New Zealand because of the emphasis that we put on skill and playing free-flying rugby to actually getting him to the level that 
he eventually got to when he returned back home. I mean, obviously, you know, he was a guy with a lot of talent, but it is probably worthwhile spending time in a different environment to to pick up on, you know, what it takes to play with, with certain teams. And I think even talking to some of the guys that I know that have spent some time overseas, especially as backs, as to like how they direct teams around the paddock, it's a lot different yeah. because you're not, you know, you're not playing expansive rugby and you're having to put boot to ball a lot more. So there's just all, all these sorts of things that you can, you know, add to your tool belt that you probably wouldn't get in New Zealand because there's not as much of an emphasis put on it. And yeah, like you've touched on it, it, it obviously hardened you up and um, yeah, taught you how to drink. But upon returning to New Zealand, you play 19s for Northland and then you're on the radar for the under-20s with Razor. You go down there, do your training and then you play in that World Cup and you win it. But then post that, you mentioned the fact that you got offered a contract with the Tanifa and you chose to take that up. But at that time, the team wasn't very good. And now I'm all for, you know, like going home and being loyal to the province that you grew up supporting. But surely there has to be some consideration as to like whether or not this team is going to put you in the best to get you to play for the Blues or get you to play for anyone at the next level up. So yeah what, what ultimately got you to to pick the tanifa because not not to bring up pain points bro but you didn't want a game in your first year and you only got one win the following year so even after you made yeah so if you can explain what went into your decision and then can you even touch on if at any point over those first two years did you ever think maybe i should have gone somewhere else i don't know honestly like there was no consideration as soon as that northern contract came on the table i signed it and I could just couldn't see myself playing for another province. Like growing up in Northland, personally, like the Tunnies jersey for me is the most important jersey that like I could ever play in. So now there was no consideration, even in those two years. Like the culture that we have off the field is like we're just like a family, and it's like the group of boys there are just always good to be around. And it's just so refreshing, especially after a super season, just to be able to go out there and just kind of obviously not relax because you're still playing rugby, but just kind of be at home and I don't think yeah I couldn't be anywhere else and I hope I keep playing for the Tunnies until I can't walk so Mm -hmm. I guess that's one of the things the other things that I've picked up on for for some of the boys who either come from small provinces or have got their opportunity through smaller provinces as they talk about I don't want to say laid back but there's just something different about playing rugby at that level in a place where I guess the whole community gets in behind you and I don't know, there's not as much noise uh, as what there possibly is. I mean, as, as you'd know, in a place like Auckland or across the other, the bigger provinces, and I guess there is maybe a, a bigger emphasis put on culture because <laughs> I've heard from some of the boys, there there isn't a lot else to do but enjoy some of the outdoor scenery, bro. But despite the poor results uh, <laughs> across your first two years back at home with the big boys, you played well enough in 2016 to earn yourself a Super Rugby contract in 2017. Yeah. So at what point during that 2016 season, you know, while you guys were battling it out, did you get the tap on the shoulder to be like, hey, Josh, we want you to sign here? Are you keen? Um, actually, so I got tapped on the shoulder. Was it World Cup year? Was, first season was 2015, right? So mm-hmm. um, Tana was pretty keen to sign me that year. But I had a chat to him and said, I don't think I'm ready. Physic- like, I don't think I'm physically ready to play Super Rugby. i just come off of that World Cup and gone into the tunnies and my body pretty had. I wasn't like into the gym. I'd only just started really getting into the gym 
after high school when I went over to England. So I thought the best thing for my career was to still go and I was still in, I guess, involved with the Blues that year and went in and did some gym sessions and did some trainings and stuff. But I thought the best thing for me was to have that time to just really grow my body and not have that pressure of if a couple locks go down there, I'm going to be a, you know, a 20 year old out playing Super Rugby in the, in the tight forwards. Um, so after talking with Tane, I think Tane was most worried that I was saying that to go somewhere else, but I assured him like I was pretty keen to play for the Blues and if all goes to plan that I'd sign the following year. And then, yeah, I guess that following season was had done what I wanted to do and put on a couple of kilos and felt a lot more confident and was playing better rugby. It's interesting that the fact that you turned a contract down, like that's almost unheard of nowadays. But yeah. again, like with a lot of your answers, it's refreshing to hear that you had that self-awareness that while it might have been cool to have a bit more coin in the back pocket and you know have the kudos that comes with being a super rugby player, that you saw more upside in, in being patient when I think just in life in general, you know, people are searching for that instant gratification or you know getting wins on the board as quickly as possible. What do you credit that to? Where where is this marching to the beat of your own drum? Was it something that was instilled in you as a kid? And then it obviously has to have a huge level of confidence or quiet confidence at the same time because yeah, it's a big thing to turn down a super rugby contract, but then also be confident enough to think that you're going to get that contract thrown at you again, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do get what you mean. That I guess, yeah, it must be a quiet confidence because that thought didn't really cross my mind. I, I just assumed that if I played well, like I'd, I'd get that contract and I believe in my ability. So that definitely helps. And my old man's pretty, pretty onto it around that kind of stuff. And he's always kind of talked about long-term plans. And when I remember talking about that, just like that first contract with him. And he said, you know, you've got 10 good years at best. And he said he'd hate to see me sign this year and get chucked out in the deep end and, you know, break bones or whatever would happen. Mm. I don't know, but he thought that the best thing for my long-term career was to put size on. And to be honest, if he wasn't there, I probably would have signed it. Um, it was probably more his suggestion and me thinking about it. And obviously he didn't say this is what you have to do. He said, this is like what I would do if I was in your situation or this is what I think is best for you, but you do what you want. But I agreed with him and in the back of my mind, well, I knew if I went on that field that year, I wouldn't have been any good. So yeah. mm. Again, some really great self-awareness. But after getting two years under your belt, you feel like you're at a stage now where like you, you can make that progression. And you do. So you're in the mix with the best in the country. It's only a select few players actually get picked in a Super Rugby team. Do you remember your first day on site, like as a full member of the team? And I don't know, you mentioned the fact that you did some testing and had some mingling with those boys. But what did it feel like to actually get to that level? And again, what what was the mindset shift? Yeah, um, first day on site. Like I'm a bit better now, but I'm a pretty shy guy. Like, um, and you like you walk in and you see like Charlie Fahuina and Stephen Lawator and Jerome Kaino. I think Sonny Bull was there. Like it was <laughs> I just didn't know words just couldn't come out. Eh? I was just that quiet Northland boy, just kind of getting about my work. But definitely wanted to prove myself when you got those guys around. Like I remember the first like kind of contact session Tana had us in this thing he called the pit. It was just a big, a big sand pit and pretty much we would just run straight 
were on both ends and we would just run and there'd be an attacker and defender we'd just scream into each other and like if I did that now I'd <laughs> I'd be like what are we doing <laughs> but at the time I was just like head first like there's some people here I need to impress and yeah so I guess I was just my mindset was just give it everything and try and try and prove why why, why I'm here now you obviously did something right over the course of that preseason, and then leading you know into when the season was taking place because in round eight against the Hurricanes you got your opportunity to show your stuff on the big stage what do you recall from that game and even the week building up to it are you, are you quite a nervous guy before games or were you at that stage and oh uh, yeah yeah very nervous well not as much anymore but definitely at that time in my career especially for super rugby yeah it wasn't the dream debut so on Thursday before training I wasn't named to play um on Thursday before training Jimmy Tupo I think he was down as a lock but he tore his ACL pretty much towards the end of training and Thursday is like the big training where you really go through everything get your confidence you know and so Jacko the forwards coach at the time tapped me on the shoulder and said mate you I don't even think I might actually been the captain's run the morning of the captain's run he said mate you're gonna be playing this weekend and obviously shitting myself um and had a lot to learn because if you're not selected in the team you kind of you go away and learn opposition stuff so you can train it against the starters so I'd kind of put out like start of the week you learn the starting team's maps and then on Thursday you're kind of more thinking about as if you're the opposition so I was definitely in that mindset and pretty much had to relearn the playbook um in a day took the laptop home with me like the analysis laptop and night before the game which is definitely not ideal like looking through the hurricanes and all of that and um yeah got to the game and we were winning at the time I think there was like 12 minutes left and both the locks, I think it was Scott Scrafton and Jared Cowley, were going well. That And they looked like they weren't even that tired. So I was kind of like at the point where I was like, they probably don't need to chuck me on here because <laughs> it's just like we're only up by a try. Like I've only had one day to train. Like, you know, if I, if I was a coach, I wouldn't put me on. And then next minute, the manager goes, Goody, you're on warm up. Frick, man. And then I come on and I miss two lineouts. Um and then we lose the game, so that's my debut. Bit of a horror story. I don't know if I can put it down to me lo- like losing the game, but I definitely contributed it to it. So not ideal, but that's life there. Exactly, bro. And, and rugby is a team game at the end of the day. But yeah. from there, things have got a little bit better for you, Hubble, particularly this year. Um, but you've, you've amassed something like 40-odd caps and have been a part of a resurgence for the Blues from being the cellar dwellers to now being arguably you know the favorites going into this year's competition or, or as this year's competition is rolling out but I want to touch on the fact that you were picked up by Tano Umanga but then have been a part of two regimes now so what's the difference between these two coaches and how have things changed from when you first arrived on the scene to where things are now because I mean from a personnel perspective the Blues like Luke Romano touched on have always had the talent and the capability but there seems to have been a flicking of the switch to where like you said you guys now have a belief and it's not okay we need the Crusaders to have a shit game and we need to nail everything it's now we just need to turn up do what we do best and the result will take care of itself. Yeah obviously two very different coaches and I think both I, I don't know if I have a preference or I think both are great at their job. I think 
Tana, when we first started, we had so many, so much young talent and the work he did to develop us, like the likes of like Aki and Reeks and myself, Sam Knock, like all those boys that have been there, like Harry Plummer, Dalton, the list goes on. But like the work he did with us really built towards what we are now. And then I think Tana was at that point where, you know, we had had a few shit years and I don't think that was his fault. I think it was a lot of contributing factors, but um, obviously rugby is a brutal sport and if you're not getting results, like things need to change. So Rangi came in and Tana stayed on, which was, I think, the perfect combination. And Rangi really bought into, um, well, I bought in that detail, I guess. Rangi's rugby, rugby brains, like even Jack said, like, in terms of how he can break down a team, like Jack said, he's never had a coach quite like it, just as his game plan and all that kind of stuff. And along with kind of Tana's ability to motivate was like awesome. And then two together. So it was quite like, obviously, Tana leaving with his business. Like it was a sad day, but it was what was best for him. But I think Tana and Rangi can both be like, they're both a part of the blue success. So I wouldn't put it on either one. And I think, Without those first years, we wouldn't be where we are today. It's probably something that's overlooked in, in a lot of cases when you look at the success stories over the years. I mean, as a Hurricanes fan, I remember the hell we went through when Mark Hammett was coach, but probably not too dissimilar to what Tana went through with you guys. You know, he yeah. was the one that bled in the likes of TJ Pedernada, uh, Brad Shields, Bowden Barrett. I mean, the list goes on. And then he unfortunately is put on the chopping block and I know that he got offside with a lot of the older boys, but when Chris Boyd came in, he almost just has to pick up where Mark Hammer had left off in terms of like fostering the talent that was already there. And then bang, yeah. you know, look what happened. They went on to win a title. And so getting more back to you boys though, you guys took out the trans Tasman competition last year. The hope mm. was probably that you would have won the super rugby Aotearoa, but again, that's rugby the results don't mm. always go your way. But going into this year, off the back of the success you had last year, was, I know, I know every team goes in to win it, but I guess from your perspective and from the team's perspective, was it really like a championship or bust season, given the way that things have been building, even for you guys internally? Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty fair to say. I think pretty much the whole time I've been there, it's like it's that mindset championship or bust, but definitely once you have you've won a few games and we've won that Trans-Tasman, like still a championship and that just puts that pressure on for the next season. And um, especially from the, the fans, like the expectation is now that they think we're the new Crusaders. So we, we're out to win it every year if we can. So I, I definitely think, yeah, if we don't win it this year, it would be considered like a bit of a bust season, but obviously you can't, you can't control everything and, and stuff can go wrong. But I think you've got to have that mindset that we're, we're going all the way or else what are you playing for most definitely bro and i guess we'll just have to see how things unfold and no doubt if you can get yourself back healthy and in the mix um they're going to be an even more formidable team probably <laughs> yeah. hopefully we don't see the canes in the quarters though that'll be tough ass there uh, i mean i i love my canes mate but um <laughs> they're, a, they're they're a mixed bag they're rocks and diamonds week in week out but yeah maybe maybe if you guys give them a 17 point lead yeah. I used to know maybe maybe that's maybe that's the catalyst for them to kick on. But... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, bro. But I think that pretty much covers off what I wanted to get from your career to date, my man. 
But before I let you go, I like to finish my shows on two segments. The first being, can you take us through your game day routine, please? Uh, yeah, I usually wake up, probably have a bit of porridge for breakfast, if that's what I'm feeling like, um, and then have a coffee. And then we usually go in for like a walkthrough or line out, like walkthrough and all of that mm-hmm. kind of jazz into a primer um, to get the testosterone pumping. And then we usually cruise back home for lunch. And then that's when I'll have my nap, usually for about like an hour and a half. So that's around like 12 and then wake up and then I might go for like a 10 minute walk. If I'm like in a, I just, there's a park near my house if we're in Auckland, but if we're in another city, then I just like maps out a little uh, like route that I want to go and like go explore, I guess. And then kind of just do what I feel like. If I feel like listening to music, I'll do that and do a bit of stretching or read my book or watch a movie in the Arvo. And then we have pre-match meal around like three. Um, and then after that, I'll write down like my goals for the game or, I kind of call them like non-negotiables, like, for example, like work hard or be physical, just like three that I kind of want for the game. And then I'll usually take them off the next day and make sure like kind of like in my personal review that I've done those. So, and then it's always the most awkward time, like an hour and a half before the bus, because like you don't really want to read your book. Like you're too like, I guess, nervous. and You you feel like watching a movie is like almost a distraction. So I usually just like saw my beard maybe scroll through Insta and yeah that's about it and then on the bus I usually don't listen to music I kind of just like to be in my own head and, and I find that if I listen to music kind of I start thinking about music too much or I kind of want to just be focusing on what I'm <laughs> what I'm about to do um, and then get to the change shed and I've been watching that Drive to Survive series mm-hmm. bloody good eh? Um, so I'll do a bit of like a juggling and stuff and like start building like my reaction stuff i've been into that lately um okay. i'll do a bit of juggling and kind of get prime like that and then then we're out there that's my game day all right cool and calm focus on oh, the two, hand. two scoops of pre-workout uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the only necessity heard that one before all right last bit bro it's called 10 in the bin so i've got 10 quick fire questions for you and you answer with whatever comes to mind first yeah number one who was your childhood idol uh brad Thorne. Nice. Champion lightweight. Who's the worst on the piss? Tom Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> really? He seems like the life of the party. He is, but he doesn't drink much. He'll, he'll have three <laughs> beers and he will just stay there. And everyone's like, is this guy even drinking? Because he, he, we haven't seen him sink any piss. He's like, no, he's had three drinks so that he just he won't drink anymore. But if he goes over that, then he's no good. So. <laughs> keep that there all right um must do on a day off if it's summer beach um but usually just spend time with my partner nice worst coach's pet Ooh, i'm gonna go finlay christie is, is that, that with is leon that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, i mean mate he, he was an all black last year so maybe um he's doing something that that everyone should be doing i don't know <laughs> number five favorite cheat meal uh fried chicken burger it doesn't matter where it's from but so good yeah mm, yeah have you, have you tried peaches in auckland no i haven't yeah bro it's out pam your way okay yeah i'm definitely a foodie yeah, so give it a go all right there you go um cheapest teammate what are you using um tom robinson bro i, I got a, 
if I could change the drinking out, so I have gotta use them twice, but definitely the cheapest. And he's got he's got some deep pockets as well. He's got <laughs> I've actually gone into business with them as well. I don't know what I'm doing. So, all right, yeah, yeah. Plug it. Is that that's the oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Check it out on Insta. Yeah, it's um natural colored zinc and started at the start of this year. So nice. So what, the zinc or similar? Oh, sorry, I, I think I, I think I spoke over you before. So just want to make that clear to the listeners. Yeah, zinc or swim. It's, we're on Insta and we've got a website as well. We're starting to get into some surf shops. I think we're in a few up north and a couple in the mountains. So. If you see us around, support the boys. How good. All right. Second dream. So if you weren't currently living yours, what would you ideally be doing? Probably chef or like own my own restaurants or something. I've also got a um, food account. So it's called Big Sexy's Cooking. If you want to <laughs> <wanna> follow, <laughs> if you want to follow, I haven't been cooking lately because I've got no thumb to use, but yeah. Oh, yeah. J- just for my own personal insight. What's your favorite cuisine? Ooh. I'd have to, if I'm going like real bougie, like an Italian restaurant, but then cheap eats, probably, probably Thai. What about you, bro? You got Yeah, no, those are probably two of my favorites. Um, I don't mind me a bit of Mexican as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, if I'm given one last meal before my deathbed, it would have to be pizza, eh? That just never yeah, fails. Sure. Wood yeah. fire, wood fire though. Um, Biggest grub you've played with or against? Biggest grub that was Jared Hoyata. <laughs> I haven't played with him, but playing against him, like he gets sided pretty much every game. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's him, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I've heard a few stories about him. Yeah, definitely an enforcer and a guy that you'd rather have on your team than playing against. Uh-huh, but yeah, we'll leave that there. We know narcs. Um, best piece of advice you've received or that you like to give out? Well, that'll be a quick one. Uh, probably, I think long term is probably the best, probably related back, um, especially to rugby players. Like you see all these young guys get their first paycheck and go buy a ranger and stuff. And like, <laughs> it can be a short career, you know, you're not guaranteed anything in this game. So, Always think long term, even it's just about your career, like what's best for your body. So nice, bro. Definitely something that I learned the hard way. Um, but last question, brother, you just got to finish off the sentence for me. Saturdays are for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you wanted? <laughs> Mate, I, I, this, this isn't what I want. I, again, I said <laughs> the question, the answers are up to you, they're, they're at your discretion. Um, so, so- but uh, yeah, I'm not sure if you're going to recommend this recording to your partner, but maybe cut uh, it out at, at the hour mark, bro. Anyway, I probably don't live up to that. The boys <laughs> will be like listening to this and be like, mate, we haven't seen you out on a Saturday in years. <laughs> so. Hey, mate. Happy wife, happy life. But just want to say thank you again very much, my man, for taking some time out to talk to me. It's been really cool to learn about what has got you to where you've got to um and just your decision making along the way and how different it's probably been than from a lot of the guys that i've heard from uh all the best with the recovery on the hand hopefully that's a speedy one and yeah, yeah. not that i'm i'm the biggest fan of the blues but with the way you boys are rolling watch out no cheers man cheers for having that conversation enjoyed it a lot and all the best with the future and hopefully um a lot of success on on the podcast and stuff so thank you Grateful brother, you're a legend. Catch you up.
the road.